This is the most important time in this service. And I appreciate you, JR, and Jason, and Reese, and this wonderful worship team. That last song, we're going to sing again in just a few minutes. And one of our young ladies wrote that song. Wow, what a powerful song. I felt the anointing. I can always tell when the presence of the Lord is near because I kind of get caught away. And then I think, oh, wait, you have to lead the service at some time. You have to preach. But you just get caught away as you're worshiping the Lord. Appreciate your faithfulness, church. We're moving forward. We're going to make it through this, and we're going to see God do great things. This is the most important time in this service because we're going to hear from the Lord. We're going to open the word of the Lord. We're going to hear what thus says the word of God. And I appreciate our love for scripture. We're not willing to compromise it. We're not willing to change it. God forbid. We just want to proclaim what it is. We're not concerned who's offended or not offended. We want to share the word of God in love. And I want to go back to a passage of scripture that I've been captivated with for about two months now. And there's at least one more message that the Lord has for us today. What I want to talk about today is it's so vital because it, it, is, it concerns eternity. And so I won't make you stand again because you stood for some time, but this verse will be on the screen. And we go back to 1 John chapter 3. And we read verse 1. Several, couple months ago, we began talking about our identity as the children of God. When we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we are forever changed. We're not who we were. Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, right? He's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. We're new people. We have a new family, new privileges, new blessings, new hopes and dreams, a new destiny, eternal destiny with Christ in heaven. All, listen, all because of Jesus Christ. All because of Jesus Christ our Lord. John says, beloved, or behold, what manner of love... The Father has bestowed upon us, on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The world denied that Jesus was the Christ. Who are you, they would say. And he would tell them and they'd say, who are you? Their hearts were blinded to who he was. And he says here, they did know him and they don't know us. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now, noting verse 3. We're going to camp in verse 3 today. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Notice we're the ones being purified. Notice it doesn't refer that way to Jesus. It says he is pure, perfect in every way. 
Give us your help today, Father, as we open your word. We want to proclaim your unchanging truth. I pray that each person under the sound of my voice, whether in this sanctuary or joining us online, that each and every one of us would have an encounter with the living God through the word of God. That today we would be moved closer to you. That we'd find repentance of our sins. That we would be cleansed and changed and drawn more near to you and made more like you through the spirit and through the word. Give us your help today. In Jesus' name. Amen. The message today is this, living in last days. How does God want us to live in last days? And I believe we are in last days. This passage is this little passage I've been camping out on for on and off for two months. Tried to get away from it. I'm drawn back to it. It's so powerful. It is a prophetic passage. It, it tells us about the future, but then it tells us how to get ready for the future. It tells us what to do in light of these future events that are going to take place. And that future event, of course, we know is the Jesus is going to return at the closing of this age. And this age is closing down. The world around us is blind to it. But we're not going to be caught off guard because we're in the light. We're not in the darkness anymore. We have the light of the word of God. We know, listen, we know how this age ends. Not because we're smarter than anyone else, but because we have a Bible that we can read and we can hear and look and see clearly the prophetic word of the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, I just referred to Matthew 24 and Revelation 6. And what these two passages do is they show how the age will unfold, the age will progress, and then it's very clear how the age will consummate. This age is going to come to a close, and there is going to be a seven-year period prophesied by Daniel, a seven-year period where Antichrist will come. He will make a covenant with Israel. In the middle of that, that seven years, he'll break that covenant and become an, an enemy to Israel. He'll, he'll go to Jerusalem. He'll designate the rebuilt temple, we believe. So the final, the final years of this age will be unprecedented, unprecedented in its trouble. And I fear that not enough of us ministers are getting people ready for the days that are coming in the future. Where Antichrist will rise out of a ten-nation Middle Eastern confederacy. And from there he'll dominate the worlds for a time that God will allow. That kingdom, that system that he will rise out of will be a religious system, a political system, but also a financial system that will dominate the world. In light of the prophetic scripture, we're told to get our focus on the hope that is set before us. Notice what it says. It says everyone that has this hope does this right here. So in other words, those that have the hope proclaimed in the gospel are clearly identifiable. In other words, it's not just those who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. God, I guess I'm going to heaven. But there's, certain, there's a certain way they live that identifies them as this hopeful people. 
What's going to happen is it's, it's these events, this, this hope that, we, that the scripture proclaims, this hope and this, this living that God calls us to in light of what's coming in the future, these several events that are going to be taking place, we've articulated them clearly and we'll never stop preaching them. We'll proclaim them again and again. And, and, and of course, one of them is the return of Jesus Christ for his blood-bought people, for his church. It's called the blessed hope. Titus says it very clearly. Paul said it in Titus, looking for the blessed hope. What is it? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we also know what's going to happen is, is when Jesus comes, the next, the, the events that's going to transpire during that time is our salvation will be completed at that time. Do you realize in the scripture, when it talks about salvation, it talks about it in three tenths, depending on the context. See, the Bible says we are saved. That's regeneration. But the Bible also declares that we are being saved. That's called sanctification. And then the Bible talks about we will be saved in the future, and that's called glorification. And depending on the context, depends on the tense. Peter in this place said this in verse Peter 1.13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace which is to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's that future time of glorification when we shall be fully saved. And then there is the establishment of God's kingdom. People are living today, even many Christians are living today as if we're going to be here forever. And the Bible is clear. Our life is like a vapor. You know, did the funeral of the, of the young man, 24, this life was taken. Life, I read that scripture in that, in that service. Life is like a vapor. Things are going to be changing. The only thing that is worth your faith, your hope, your, your dreams, your efforts, your energies, your time, your talents, and your treasures is what we do for Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. Corinthians says it this way, but each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are at his coming. Then the, then the end when he, Jesus, delivers up the kingdom of God to his Father and he puts an end to all rule, all authority, and all power. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Our hope is this, and it is not, listen, it is not a hope so. When we say hope in this world, the lost people, well, I hope it all works out. No, hope is a sure foundation. It's just out in the future. And you say, Pastor, what, what is out in our future as the people of the Lord? What is out in our future is the coming of Jesus. What is out in the future is the completion of our salvation. What is out in, in the future is Christ will come and put down all rule and authority. It shall reign a thousand years on this earth. And I want to be a part of that. Will, will we be a part of that? Well, the Bible says that there is a hope, but there is a clear indication, identifiable, of those who really have this hope and are living it out in their lives. In this little passage, look at verse 3 again, 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who has this hope now, underscore this. 
You should have several Bibles. You should be able to underscore, write in your Bible, underscore, write some notes here. Go back and get it deep in your spirit. Notice this. If, if you have this hope, it says, in, in him, Jesus purifies himself even as he is pure. Now, we're going to have an altar call in just a bit. I've, I've asked our worship team to sing that wonderful song that Miss Tori wrote. I think Tori did. Tori write it or you write it? Tori wrote it. She's trying to take credit for it. <laughs> Three important lessons that the Lord wants to show us today out of this passage. If I could give you this sermon in a sentence, it would be this. And if you don't get anything else, get this. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Our Savior is holy. And he is calling a holy people. And one day those people will enter in to the holy city. Did you hear what I said? Our Savior is holy. He is calling a holy people, a holy bride, adorned with perfect righteousness, empowered by his spirit in his life. Listen, I'm not talking about self-righteousness. I'm not talking about human just, I'm talking about righteousness that comes from a heart transformed, from the born again experience from the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning in the heart and empowering the life. Listen, here's the sermon in the sentence. Our God is holy. He's, he's preparing a holy people, and he's coming for a holy people. And one day those people that have their names written down in the Lamb's Book of Life will enter the holy city. I thought about this. Here's, let's talk about this for a moment. Our Savior is holy. Verse 3, just as he is pure, he's not trying to purify himself like it tells us. These are different words. You must purify, but he is pure. He is perfect. He is holy. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is perfect light. There, listen, John said in another place, there is no darkness in him at all. Our God is perfectly holy. It is, it is an awesome thing to think about entering in the presence of holy God. It's a fearful thing, Hebrews says. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That old hymn, holy, holy Holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, our song will rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 through darkness hide thee. Through the eyes of sinful man, thy glory may not see. Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee. Perfect in power, in love, in purity. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Oh, thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. 
He's holy. I thought about that quote this morning. I put it in these notes. The great author, A.W. Tozer, he said one of the most amazing statements that I, I think it's, there's, there's, you know, there's maybe no true statement outside the scripture. Here's what he said. When it, when, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. The way you live, the way you think, the way you act, the way you treat others, the way you see the world, the way you see yourself. The reason for that is the way you see God. And I declare to you, our God is a holy God. Untainted in any way. Perfectly holy, eternal, immutable, almighty El Shaddai God. And his son Jesus Listen how the the scripture describes this. Corinthians says it this way. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin. That is is a sin offering is what that means. To become sin. In other words, he paid our sin debt to become that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Peter said it this way. But with the precious blood, a lamb without blemish, without spot. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 2.22. Who committed no sin, nor was there deceit in his mouth. John, in this same chapter we're preaching out of, he said this. And you know that he was manifest to put away sin, because in him there is no sin. Can you imagine can you imagine? It's hard for us to imagine because we, we as human beings have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned in many ways in our lifetime. And thank God for his blood. Come on, thank God for his cleansing. But there was one sent from heaven who is the perfect son of God, never sinned one time in word, thought, or deed in any way, perfect and holy. How does the Bible describe him? Moses said it this way. In Exodus, he said, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? Isaiah had an experience with God, had a vision of God after Uzziah had died. He had this incredible encounter with God. Well, how do you think he responded to God? Listen, you can always tell when somebody spouts off that they had this, God did this, and then they have this this nonchalant attitude, you can be assured. They have not been in the presence of God. Because this Bible shows you when people come in the amazing presence of God, they're shaken. Come on, they're in awe. And the prophet Isaiah comes into God's presence and encounters the true and living God. And he hears the angels crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what did he say? Let's sit down and have tea together. No. He said, Woe is me. Yeah. Yeah. David said, For you will not leave your soul... Your, you will not leave my soul in shame. This is, this is a messianic prophecy. This is about Jesus not being left in the grave. But David, through the Spirit, says, Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. When Gabriel comes and answers Mary her question, How can this be? 
how can I be pregnant? I have never known a man. And Gabriel, who came and dwelt in the very presence of God. One of the, listen, one of the few named angels in the Bible. Very few angels named. We get categories. We don't get names. You know, Michael, Gabriel, etc. Here's what Gabriel said to Mary. And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit, notice that, will come upon you. The power of the most, the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. When Peter preached to that adversarial crowd, he wasn't worried about ruining friends and influencing people. He wasn't worried about the consumers in the crowd, as many pastors and churches are today. He said to them in Acts, but you denied the Holy One and, and the just, and you've asked for a murderer to be granted to you. The whole, you murdered the Holy One. Do you realize that even demons know who he is? I think it's time the church remember who he is. The church has forgotten who he is. Demons have not forgotten who he is. Listen to what the demon said, saying, let us alone. This is the demon talking. Let us alone. What are we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Do you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God's. When you get in his presence, really, it's an awesome thing. When Peter first, his first few encounters with Jesus, Jesus said, you throw the net on the other side. Lord, we have fished all night and we haven't caught anything. Smartest thing he ever said was this. Nevertheless, at your word. Lord, I don't feel like it. I'm tired. It doesn't matter. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading. I don't feel. Listen, nevertheless, I will do what God tells me to do. I mean, this flesh has to die before true spiritual life can come forth. And they drew in the great. Listen, they drew in the great draw, the great Catch a fish, right? Do y'all remember what Peter said? Do you remember what he felt in his heart and in his life? Do you remember the expression when he realized whose presence he was in? Listen to what he said in the book of Luke 5 and 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he's saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He realized he was in the presence of the Holy Son of God. Mm. I won't read it for time's sake. Do you realize in heaven they worship? They worship. We're, we're called in Psalms to worship in the beauty of holiness. We don't just come in and just, we come in thoughtfully. We come in because really our worship is not for you. It's, it's, it's in, a, in a subway for you and for us. But really, Sundays are an audience of one, right? 
Our worship is for the Lord. And, we, and in heaven they cry out all the time, holy, 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 holy. Can you imagine the voice? Can you imagine the, you know, when you, when you sense the anointing, sometimes chills go all over you when you sense the presence of God. Can you imagine in heaven when you hear those cherubim and those seraphim crying out, holy, 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 as they worship him. We worship him for who he is. In the Revelation, it says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory. That glory is the outraying of his, of his life and his nature. Blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and before the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures say, amen. And the 24 elders They fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Holy God, eternal God. You know, it'd do us all good to just get on our knees sometime in here and just get on our knees for a while and just worship him. He's awesome. The Son of God became man, truly, (coughs) in the incarnation. But he was a man different than us. Even though he was really a man like us, he was the perfect son of God. How can you be man, perfect man, truly man, and yet never cease to be perfect God? It's the gospel. It's amazing. And I would say to us, If you've lost your amazement for the gospel, then you've forgotten what it really is. This amazing plan of salvation that brings and and lifts up Adam's fallen race and brings us into Christ's family through the death, the burial, and the resurrection all could only be made possible because he is holy. It's the just Dying for the unjust, Romans says. And he's amazing. So I declare to you this morning that the Son of God is holy. He's holy, perfect holiness. But there's a second part to this. And that's this. What is God doing in the world today? It's amazing how people just put tag Jesus on everything. Selling tennis shoes and whatever else, you know. No, he's not doing any of that. No. No. He's doing one thing. If you go by this, he is building a body. He is calling a people unto himself out of the earth that will live for him eternally, in eternity, forever. He is building his church. Listen, he is calling a holy people. Listen to what it says here. Everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself. Everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ, you can identify them. They purify themselves as he is pure. He's the standard. We may never reach it, but we ought to shoot for it. Because that's where we're headed. But before this, it says, we shall, see, we shall be like him. He's pulling all this sin out of us. 
He's sanctifying us. Some of us look in our lives and you still say, you say, I've got a long way to go. Listen, God's going to get us there. The Holy Spirit's going to get us there. The Word's going to get us there. And when we stand in his presence one day, we will be like him in some way. It boggles my mind because I know me. And I know some of you too. Come on, don't be, you know what I'm saying. I'm going to be very clear here. When he says purifies himself just as he is pure, he is not just simply talking about judicial righteousness. I mean, listen, there's people that claim judicial righteousness. There's people that claim they're saved, they're going to heaven, and there's nothing in them that looks like Jesus. They did, I don't see any Jesus. I'm not anyone's judge. I condemn no one, but I'm just telling you, I can look at fruit. And when someone claims Christ but doesn't love anything he loves, they don't love the prayer meeting, they don't love the people of God, they don't love the word of God. Listen, I want to be very clear here. This passage is not simply talking about judicial righteousness. This is talking about practical righteousness that God in his grace works out in our lives. Evident fruit. Evident fruit. He said, how do you know that? How do you know we're not just simply talking about, you know, declared righteousness? You know, Abraham believed God and, and he was declared righteous. How do we know it's not just judicial righteousness, but we're talking about godly, holy living right here, right now? How do we know that? Well, go from verse 3 to verse 4. First John chapter 3, verse 4. Let's just go to the next verse. It's amazing how the Bible will just explain itself. Come on, amen? Look at it. Whosoever commits sin. Oh, so we're talking about sin now. Whosoever commits sin. Now, this is the next verse. The verse before that says, purifies himself just as he is pure. He's telling us what the people of God that have this hope of resurrection and eternal life, it tells us how to identify them. Look at it. Everyone who commits sin commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Sin, here's the definition. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking God's law. It's breaking God's command. It's, it's rebellion against God's purpose, plan, and will. This is what sin is. And then he says, and you know that he was manifest to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him, saved, connected with Jesus, remaining in him, abiding. The words mino, I'm sure. Mino, remain in him, does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices, notice that, righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has, whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, it doesn't mean that, that, that Christians are sinless. But it means that we don't live a life of sin like we used to. Our lives have been changed. And we may, we may stumble here and there, but we run back to Jesus. In the first chapter, it says, if we, if we sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Peter said it this way about the people of God. But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. 
What I'm saying to us today, that the Son of God is holy, and he is calling a holy people. This, in this call to us today, this gospel call, is a call to holiness, to purify ourselves. You say, what kind of call is this? It's an eternal call. This is not something that the Lord thought up last week. This is something built in God's plan eternally for the church. Before the foundation of this earth, God had already planned that his people would be a holy people. You say, how do I know that? Look at Ephesians. Just as he chose us in him, just as he chose to save everyone who would believe in him, he chose to build this body, this people, the bride of Christ, before the foundation of the world. And what did he plan? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. This is an eternal call. It's also an earnest call. God calls us to earnest pursuit of godliness. Are, are you listening today? Amen. Paul said it this way, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. That's right now. It's not just judicial when we get to heaven, that's striving with God's grace. It's not just self, it's Holy Spirit dependence. Flesh and spirit, that's important. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I won't read it, but in Philippians, Paul talks about how that he hadn't attained this place, but he wanted the righteousness which comes from God by faith because Paul was a Pharisee before, and all he had was this outward righteousness, but his heart was dirty. His heart was sinful. But when he found Jesus, he found someone that could not only get the outside fixed up, he started on the inside. He can change our hearts. That's where we always start. God starts by changing hearts and changing lives. This, is, this call to purify ourselves and to live godly in this present life through his grace is an eternal call, planned from eternity. This, how his, this is how his body would be. It's an earnest call. It calls us to be earnest, but it's also, I just thought, it's an everyone call. You say, what do you mean? Look at 1 John 3, 3 says, and everyone, everyone say everyone. Everyone. So this is, Pastor, wait a second. Now, yeah, I hear you preaching today, preacher, and you're, you're talking about some super saints. You're talking about those real dedicated saints. No, I'm talking about to the person that got saved last week, to the person that got saved last month. I'm talking about someone that's been saved for 50 years or 60 years. This call is an everyone call. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. What does it look like, Pastor? What is, what is this life that you're talking about? This call to be different than the world around us. What does it look like? I, I want you to just open your Bible here. To I'm going to show you. Just We're going to look at this briefly. Ephesians 4 gives us some specifics. First of all, in verse 17 through 19, Ephesians 4 and we're talking about purifying ourselves as he is pure. We're talking about this, this eternal, this earnest, and this everyone call to live for God, to be godly, to repent of sins. 
What does godly living look like? What, is, what, what does this look like? How do we live this out in practicalities? Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19 basically tell us we're different now and we should live different. Look at it. Uh, this I say to you, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness that is in their heart, who are being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. He's saying this, you, you have been saved now. You, you know, this is how the world lives. They're given over to sin. They're given over to sensuality. They're given over to lewdness. They're given over to all this stuff, but you're changed now. And as a child of God, we need to live out that change. And then in verse 20 through 24, it tells us how the gospel commands us to do certain things. Look at 20. It says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you've heard of him and have been taught by him the truth that is in Jesus. So what what kind of truth is in this holy son of God that we serve? Remember I told you he's perfectly holy. Well, the truth in Jesus is verse 22 that you put off. Everybody shout, put off. You know, you go out and you, you know, on on mow your grass on a hot Texas day and your clothes are all dirty. And you got to get out of those clothes and get cleaned up and get some new clothes. Well, listen, when we were lost, we had dirty clothes on. When we were lost, we had the dirty clothes of the unregenerate lives. And when we get saved, guess what happens? We get some new clothes. Come on. We, get, we take off the old clothes of sin and darkness and alienation from God, and we put on Christ. And look at this. The former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says, first of all, verses 17 to 19, you're different. Verse 20 through 24, the gospel teaches us to forsake sin and put on Christ fully. Then we get to some specifics. Verse 25 says, you got to stop lying and start telling the truth. Mm, Don't shout me down now. Look at verse 25. It says, therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor for your members of one another. Stop lying. Tell the truth. Christians are truth tellers. Honesty. You know, that's why Jesus said, don't take a bunch of oaths. Remember in, the, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, don't take oaths and go into great uh, elaborate of taking oaths. We should live a life that commands our integrity, where we, when, when we say something because our, people know our lives, we just let our yes be yes and our no be no. And then somebody says, oh, I know that. I, so-and-so said that. I, I know the kind of person they are, so therefore I believe them. We don't have to exaggerate. You know, what's the, what did he say? Thou protestest too much. Remember that? Was that Shakespeare? Thou protestest too much. When somebody goes into over-explaining, you think, that boy be lying. Now, you think, okay, he's not trying to convince me. He's trying to convince himself. What's holiness? We tell the truth. Yeah. Here's something else, 26 and 7. He said, you need to stop getting so angry. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. You ever been angry? Say amen. Did you repent? So did I. Come on. Amen. I'm with you here. Look at verse 20, 28 says, stop stealing. Stop stealing. 
Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give to him who is in need. Stop stealing. That money doesn't belong to you. That belongs to your boss and to your company. Oh, well, he, I did that. No, stop stealing. You don't steal. You don't steal. We're givers. We're not takers. We're honesty. Come on. Honesty. One of the greatest lessons that I ever received in my life, I was a little boy and I stole a flashlight. I was in J.C. Penney's. In the 70s, young man, there were people alive in the 70s. Okay, I'm just telling you. I was just a little guy. It was probably early 70s. I was just a young, you know, six years old maybe. And there was a little bin, a little end cap, and it had a, a bunch of little flashlights in there. I said, Dad, I want one of those. And he said, no, put it back. I put it back. I put it in my pockets, what I did. I went home. And we were playing hide-and-go-seek out at night. And I got over in that corner of my house and the next house and the bushes. And I was using that flashlight back there. And my brother just, he saw it. He said, you stole that flashlight. I'm telling mom and dad. I was like, no. He told them. You know what my dad made me do? He said, when I get home from work tomorrow, he said, we don't steal anything. We work for what we get. We're taking that back, and you're going to tell those people what you did. Oh, you think that's good? Well, it gets better. No, this gets really good. God burned this in me. I don't want nothing that's not mine anymore. We drive up in the JCPenney parking lot, and just so happened there's a cop circling and just patrolling. My dad flags him down. None of this was planned, I promise you. My dad flags him down, and my dad rolled, and I guess he was winking at him. I don't know what he was doing. He said, officer, he said, yes. He said, I, I, I want to tell you, my son stole a flashlight in here, and he's probably winking at him, stole a flashlight in the J.C. Penney's. What do you think we need to do about it? Let me tell you what happened. That police officer, now he's eight, ten foot tall, I know. He got out of that, he got out of that car and started acting like he was going to come around and get me. And, and then for me, I thought, I'm gone. I'm taken away. You know, I'm just a kid. Listen, I started, can I just use a young term? I started freaking out. I thought, I'm going away forever. And I guess they saw I was about to have a coronary. And I think he got back in his car. He said, this kid is freaking out here. I was terrified. I thought, my dad's getting rid of me. I'm going to the slammer forever. So that cop, I think they saw, they went a little too far. I was like traumatized. And he took me in there, made me tell that lady, I stole your flashlight, lady. We paid for it. I never, I don't know where that, I didn't get it, I promise you. But how many know when you, when you become a Christian, you don't steal? Let me tell you something that happened the other day, just to get this going here. Hey, you don't got nothing to do but go home. Come on, Amen. So, honesty pays off. So I was, uh, I played a golf tournament here recently. We, we won first place, but we lost on a scorecard playoff. That's a bummer. But, um, but anyway, second place, I got a new golf bag. Come on, shout amen. Amen. Uh, 
So I didn't like it, so I thought, I'm going to call the PGA store and see if they'll trade me straight up for, you know, credit, because I don't like this one. I don't need one like this. I want one like that. So I called, and they said, oh, sure. Said, yeah, yeah, just bring it as long as it, they scanned it. And yeah, it's all good. So I was, I was searching through those bags, just kind of looking at the pockets, seeing if I liked it. I was, you know, there's probably 150 bags in there. They're all sitting out, and I'm reaching in the pockets, unzipping. I'm looking, so do I want this? And, just, and I reached in one of those pockets of a brand-new bag, and it had a knife in it. I'm like, what is a knife doing in a golf bag, in a golf shop? Now you want to know what I did, don't you? Look at you. You're like, okay, what would you do, preacher? <laughs> Listen, my dad taught me a lesson a long time ago. You don't steal. Come on, you don't steal. I went to the customer service, and I said, sir, I was, I'm getting a new golf bag. And I said, I found this in one of those bags back there. He grabbed it and looked at it. It was a little Swiss knife, a little Swiss Army knife. He looked at that thing. He handed it back to me and said, sir, it's your lucky day. I thought, thank you, Jesus. Come on, amen. I've got a new Swiss Army knife. Pays to be honest, doesn't it? When you purify yourself, you stop lying. Come on, you don't lie to your parents, right? We don't lie to our parents. We don't lie to each other. We tell the truth. We tell the truth to God first, right? We're honest. We don't steal. We don't lie. And then, quickly, verse 29. We, we, we use our words right. Look at this. Verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What is good and necessary edification? You may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you're seared the day of redemption. We use our words right. We use our words to, to proclaim the word of God. We use it to encourage others. We don't talk behind each other's back. There's people that will say things behind your back. They would never say to your face. That's a good indication you've sinned with your lips. I, I, I believe. Listen, what I'm going to tell you. I believe with all my heart. Now, will you listen to me just another moment? Please listen to me. We need to talk less. I'm just telling you. I know that we need to say less. We need to listen more. We need to talk less. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. Listen more. I want to listen more. Talk less, listen more. We need to be kind and forgive more. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, evil speaking put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave in, God in Christ forgave you. We need to be kind. There, there is a cruelty in our world today. I'm almost done. There's a cruelty. Cru, there's a cruelty. There's a hardness. There's a callousness. We need to be kind. I'm grateful for our little flock. I'm grateful for the kindness that's here in this congregation. Now, I told you don't lie. I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. If there's a bunch of junk going on, I wouldn't be saying this. Thank God for your faithfulness, for your love, for our fellowship. I as far as I know, I don't have anything against anybody and don't ever will as far as in my heart. I love you and I believe you love me. We have a great future. As I conclude this, still have a little more to say. You can see why I didn't get, get finished with this passage, because I never get done. <laughs> There's a Savior. Huh? Holy, he's holy. Would our musicians come? All, all the musicians, we're going to sing this song, and we're going to have a prayer. We're going to draw near to the Lord. 
You know what the most important thing that will happen this day is to get our hearts right with God? Nothing more important than that. You realize there's a conflict to be holy. Do you know that? You say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying in my heart. I want to be holy. And you understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm talking about true godliness that has love and has kindness and has purity and good motive. If you want to be holy before God, if you want to pursue, if you have this hope, and I believe that we do, he that has this hope purifies himself even as he's pure. If that's your heart and desire, then you've got a conflict. There's a conflict. There's a conflict. There's a friction. Of, of this verse in, in, in John, that first verse, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us. It doesn't recognize us. The ESV study Bible says, the note in that Bible says this, there is a built-in friction between those who know and serve Christ and those who do not. What are our conflicts? There are three, at least. One is the world around us. It's an anti-Christ system. It's, we're living in a world that's built on completely opposite principles from which we desire to live by. There was a time in our own nation where there was prayer in schools. I even remember that. I remember when they used to read a scripture and pray in school. Ten Commandments up on the front there. Try to take Jesus into school now. See how that works for you. Jesus has become more unwelcome than he ever has in this nation, the world, is, is a conflict that you'll have in seeking to live for the Lord. There's people today, they're losing jobs because they adhere to the faith of the Word of God. They lost jobs. Because they said, that conflicts with my faith in Jesus. There's, there's the flesh. That's another conflict. Your flesh desires pleasure. There's a residue for whatever reason that God is going to, Christ is going to transform. We're going to get a new body. But our flesh is a conflict for holiness because your flesh wants pleasure. We have a pleasure-mad society. We certainly do. And that pleasure chokes out God's life. Many of Christians has lost their relationship with God because pleasure just choked out life. And then, of course, there's the devil. That's your three conflicts to, being, to living for God, the world, your own flesh, and the devil and his demons will seek to pull you away from Christ. He will place temptation in front of you. He will place people in your lives that will influence you and stumble you. Satan will use deception, discouragement, delay, disappointment, and distraction. But we must not drop our guard for a moment, not for one second, because he walks around as a roaring, roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
One day, our holy Christ will come. And he will come and catch away a holy people. He said, Pastor, where is he going to take us? He's taken us to the holy city. I won't read it because our time is gone. But I can tell you this, that this holy city is a place where the Lord says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That scripture scares me. Hebrews 12, 10. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. There is a holy city. Have you noticed how crime has risen around here? Young man, I did the service for the young man that was murdered. And then two weeks after that, there was another one murdered. Your car is broken into. People assaulted. And I think we all would say we long for a city who's builder and maker's God. There is a city, the holy city, that no sin will enter. No, the sexually immoral, the sexually immoral won't enter there. Revelation 21 says, the cowardly, the unfaithful, the ungodly, they won't enter that city. They'll never enter that city. Only those who've been washed by the blood of Christ, those who are striving to live for the Lord. I don't believe God demands us something we can't do. We depend on His grace. It's not us trying to, I'm going to, you know, it's not just this legal righteousness, but it is seeking to depend on the Lord. I would say this, if you're struggling with a sin in your life, the way to overcome sin is not necessarily to try harder, but the way is to place your faith completely in the Lord. He's the one that will give you the power to live in victory and to be what he's called you to be. I want you to stand and we're going to sing this song. And here's what I would say to us. Maybe the Lord is speaking to your heart. Maybe the Lord is speaking to your heart. As, as, as they begin to sing, if you just want to come and spend a little time with the Lord, anyone, maybe all of us, I believe the Lord's speaking. Maybe as we begin to sing this, and you want to just come and draw near to the Lord, I want you to come and you can just stand up here. We're going to sing this together. I'll stand here. And if you want to just come and draw near to the Lord, or maybe there's something you want to talk to the Lord about, altar time is for that. So, Father, I pray that you would draw us near to you. Get us ready for that moment you'll call us away. And we ask your mercy and your grace. upon. Thank you for your mercy. You're so kind to forgive us, to cleanse us. And, Lord, if anyone's struggling with anything in their life, I pray that, Lord, that you would just, just touch their heart. Let them encounter your freedom today. And we ask in Jesus' name. If you want to come and just pray with us here, just come.